So we're going to read um, Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. I'm just going to read it to you. If, you. if you want to just close your eyes or follow along, just this prayer of Paul's is incredible. I'm going to read it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. We could just stop there and go back into worship. Hooray. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. What an amazing prayer of Paul's. That his heart and his prayer is that we would know God. And when he says no, he doesn't just mean intellectually no God. He doesn't just mean just with our minds. He means with our whole persons and our whole emotions and every part of us that we would behold and see and discern and marvel and wonder at this God. We wouldn't just know some things about him. Paul just doesn't want the church to kind of go, oh, yeah, I know, I know. God calls us to hope. I know that intellectually, but no, it's an experience knowing. It's a knowledge that resonates deep into the hearts of our, of our lives. That's why Paul uses the word heart here. The eyes of our hearts would be unlightened. The very core of our being that we would know some things about God. Not just sit up here and we go going, oh yeah, we know a bit more today. We've left, we've, we found out some more about God. No, yes at one level, but deeper than that richer than that. There's multiple layers of what it means to know God and be changed by him and be transformed by him. And what is it Paul wants us to know? He wants us to know the hope to which we have been called. He wants us to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And one of the layers that I just want to focus in on this morning is this, this phraseology, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What an, what an amazing set of words to put together. This is the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses these words, or anyone else. The immeasurable greatness of God. The immeasurable greatness of God. The, the exceeding magnitude of him. The unsurpassing wonder of him. The matchless splendor. The word great here is mega. So you could say the meganess of God. 
the, the just immeasurable, incalculable wonder and splendor of him. You know when something is immeasurable, we just can't get hold of it. We just can't fully understand it. We can't count it. We can't put, put, put a box around it. Do you know, almost everything in our life, I was thinking about this this morning, we measure as our kids grow, we measure how tall they are, how much they weigh, whether they're healthy. When we, look, we just bought a new house not too long ago. We looked at the dimensions, you know, how big it is, how, what's going to fit in where. We measure everything about our lives. But when it comes to God, he's immeasurable. We cannot fully grasp or comprehend him. We cannot fully get hold of him because he's immeasurably great. The God who made all things who revealed himself through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ, is immeasurably great. But, thank you. <laughs> uh, on, uh, on Thursday evening, we had some of our young people around uh, at our house. And one of the questions that they asked is, like, how can God have just been there forever? And the answer to that question is, I don't understand how God could have been there forever but I do understand that he's immeasurably great and therefore I'm never going to understand that. I can never quite comprehend how God has, has no beginning and no end, that he's the alpha and the omega. I don't fully understand that and I'm okay with that, but what it causes me to do is go, God, you are much greater and wiser and richer than I will ever be because you're immeasurably wonderful and splendid. And if we stopped there this morning on this, and we landed and said, God, you are immeasurably great, that would be enough to sustain a lifetime of worship and praise to God. If we left and just said, what we know this morning is that God is immeasurably great and we get hold of it and we live in the truth of that, that is enough to sustain a whole life of adoration to our king. But Paul says there's more. There's more that I want you to understand and know. There's more layers that he wants to reveal, if you like. And what he goes on to show in the rest of this passage is how God has revealed his immeasurable greatness. That he has and he is displaying the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. How's he doing that? Through his son, Jesus Christ. He has revealed this immeasurable wonder through the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes about who this Jesus is is, which displays and unpacks the immeasurable wonder and greatness of God's power. So let's look at those. So he says this in verse 20, that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Amen. God gloriously raised Jesus Christ from the dead, so defeating sin and death that the great enemy of sin and the great enemy of death have been defeated. The power of sin was broken on the cross. Jesus conquered over our sin and our shame and our guilt when he died and when he rose again gloriously by the power of God. He triumphed over it. He triumphed over all of our rebellion and all of our rejection of him and he defeated the enemy of death. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For those in Christ, death is no longer the enemy, but merely the transfer from here into his glorious presence for all eternity. God displayed his immeasurable greatness of his power by raising Jesus from the dead. 
Not only did he raise him from the dead, he seated Jesus at his right hand. For a king to be seated on a throne is a symbol of completed, finished work. When a king sits down, it's a symbol of they are, they are, their work is finished. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all time. And when he sits at God's right hand, it's a symbol of authority and of power and of honor and of status. This is the Jesus who we've been singing about this morning. He sat down, his work has been completed, he's at the right hand of God as a sign of his, of his power, of his authority, and of his status. And then it goes on to say this, that Jesus is far above all rule and all power and all authority and all Dominion, everything, everything, dominions, kingdoms, powers, governments, the Roman emperor when Paul was been, who Paul had been imprisoned by, everything, the angelic realm, the demonic realm, the things that we see and the things that we don't see, everything comes under the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. This is how God has revealed his immeasurable greatness, that we worship a king who, who has, is seated at the right hand of God and who is far above, not just a teeny bit, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion. Boris Johnson is not in charge. Jesus is in charge. <laughs> That's the biggest amen of the morning. I won't ask how people vote in this, in this church. And then he goes on to say, he's not finished there. He says, God has put all things under Jesus' feet and given him as head over all things to the church. Again, we see the authority of Jesus Christ given by the Father. Isn't it wonderful, this is a side point, of how the Father and the Son, there's this mutual submission and relationship together. That God the Father, who is, who is, the, king of, who is the king of all, he, he gives authority to Jesus. There's this wonderful enacting of the Godhead, Father, Son, and we see it in the Spirit, who mutually submit to one another. And, and, and we can't understand all that, but it's a picture of what true relationships are look like. That there's this wonderful love and submission in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Spirit. And then finally, we see in verse 23, Paul says this. He put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, Christ, who fills all in all. God shows the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us through Christ Jesus, who fills all in all. Or the literal translation now, who is filling all in all. The effect of Jesus' rule and authority is that everything is being filled with the glory of God. Everything is being filled with his glory. He is king over the nations and one day he will finally subdue them all. He is bringing all things under his feet. He is filling the entire cosmos with his glory and his rule and his majesty. And one day, he will return and he will bring everything under his feet once and for all time. He will reveal his true glory and every eye will see 
and every ear will hear that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every corner of the universe will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That is the destination of which we are sure because God has revealed the immeasurable greatness of his power through sending his son who is now seated far above all rule and power and authority and who will return to make all things new and who will fill the entire cosmos with the knowledge of the glory of God. Amen. In a few words, just to summarize that, Jesus is sovereign. He has no rival. He has no equal. He reigns supreme now and forever. Amen. And that causes my heart to be amazed by God and want to worship him and to lift my gaze to him and to say, God, my response is adoration and splendor and just marvel at you once again. And again, we could stop, but Paul doesn't want us to stop there. He's actually got another layer that he wants us to reveal here. There's actually more that he wants us to know and understand. He wants us to be left in praise and wonder and awe. But then he goes on to talk about the church. And he wants us to connect the glory and the splendor of God to the church, the people of God. It says here, doesn't it? God has given Christ as head over the church. That through his body on earth, we as his representatives are chosen, redeemed, ransomed, holy people called the church, a people, not a building, not a meeting, that through the church, the wisdom and glory of God is on display. God will fill all things with his glory, and the church is central to this. The church is central to this. God is going to fill everything in the cosmos with the knowledge of the glory of God. Yet he chooses a broken, weak, messy, chaotic people called the church to reveal his glory and his beauty to the earth. Let's look at this. Verse 19 says this, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. Or for us. So the greatness of his power has actually been revealed for us. Do you see the power that is available to the people of God? Because the immeasurable greatness of his power is actually toward us and for us. And then verse 23, the church, his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church displays the fullness of Christ. Somehow, in ways that I don't understand, the head, Jesus Christ, and the body, his church, operate together to display who God is to the universe. If you don't believe me, Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this, through the church, the manifold wisdom 
of God is on display to the rulers and the authorities. Somehow, as we gather even this morning, as we're part of the global people of God made up of hundreds of millions of people worldwide, we display the wisdom of God. Not just to the people around us, but to the rulers and the authorities in the unseen realm. I don't even know how you get your head around that. Because sometimes church feels a bit messy. Sometimes it feels quite chaotic. Sometimes it feels like, oh, a bit clunky. But Jesus says, through his people, that is how he's going to display his wonder to the rulers and the authorities. That's how he's going to display his wisdom. The church reflects Jesus, but ultimately it also displays him and enacts and brings about the fullness of Christ. And it's part of how he's going to fill the whole world with his glory. Let's not forget in saying that, that Jesus is the head, that power and authority and fruitfulness come from him to the body. We are dependent on him. He's not dependent on us. Let's not, let's not get our theology misaligned here and somehow think, no, no, Jesus is the head here, right? He is the head of all things, yet somehow he connects the head and the body, and he says, working together, we reveal the glory of God and the wisdom of him. I don't know what you think about church. I don't know coming out of the pandemic what you think about, about how important it is or, or where it sits in your priority or what you think you understand by church to be. But let me tell you what I think Jesus thinks about it from Scripture. Jesus loves the church. He is showcasing his glory through the church. He displays his wisdom through the church. He is filling the heavens with his glory, and we are part of it. He has given us his authority, and he's chosen us both us locally, but us globally as his followers, to be his representatives on earth, to fill all creation with the goodness and the knowledge of God. That's what Jesus thinks about his church. And that's what he calls us to think about his church. This room here today, let's just take this, this, this wonderful group of people, and I've loved this morning. What a privilege to pray together and to pray for other people and worship him. This room here today, made up of men and women, young and old, rich and poor, many different nations, many different stories is part of the body of Christ through which the wisdom of God is on display. I don't get, uh, what? We this morning are displaying the wisdom of God. Do you understand? We're not just coming to a meeting we're displaying the wisdom of God. Every time we love and serve, every time we act as the hands and feet of Jesus, yes, as we gather, but also as we scatter, every time we, we reach out, every, we, we, just, we are enacting Christ to the world, and we are displaying his wisdom. That's what Jesus thinks about his church, and that's what he invites us to think about his church. No wonder David in Psalm 139, obviously not referring to this passage, says this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot understand it. 
No wonder Paul prays that we would have the eyes of our hearts opened or the eyes of our hearts enlightened to this staggering truth. That we wouldn't just know it in our brains, but that we would see and marvel and behold the truth and the majesty of Jesus Christ and the beauty of his people who have been called and chosen to represent him to the world and to enact the fullness of Christ. And so here's my invitation. As we emerge out of this weird and painful last 18 months, as we face separation and loss and grief and disappointment and hurt, can we anchor ourselves once again in this Jesus who we worship, who was raised from the dead, who is seated at the right hand, who is far above all rule and power and authority, who's the name above every other name, who's the head of the church, who all things are under his feet, can we anchor ourselves in him? Maybe the anchors become a bit loose. Maybe it's become a bit unsteady through the pandemic. Can we anchor ourselves in the person of Jesus and the fact that he, God, has displayed the immeasurable greatness of his power through his son, Jesus Christ. And can I invite us, secondly, to once again be blown away by the wonder of God's people? That as hard as it is sometimes, as much as we misunderstand each other, and it's confusing, and we cause each other frustration, and we miscommunicate, and all these sorts of things, I want to invite us to see the church, the people of God, as Jesus sees it. His bride, his hands and his feet to one another and to a broken, hurting, and confused world. That's the invitation this morning of this passage. Can we anchor ourselves in him? and reflect and gaze upon the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? And can we be blown away by the splendor of God's people? Yes, partly represented in this moment here, but as we leave, we still display the wonder of God. As we, as we go out these doors today, we display to the world, somehow together, the splendor and the majesty of God and his wisdom is on display through us as his people. Let's fall in love with Jesus and let's fall in love with the church. Can I invite us to stand if you're able and comfortable too? We're going to finish. Nehemiah, are you happy to? We're going to finish by just, we're just going to worship um, to a song called What a Beautiful Name, which talks about the wonder of Jesus. And I just want to invite you, just before we sing, just to be before God. I just want to pray over us. I want to pray that, not because of anything I've said, but because of the truth in his word, I pray, God, that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know this morning what is the hope to which you have called us. 
What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us? Lord, I pray that our gaze and our attention and our focus would be unto you today. Lord, that we would anchor ourselves in this wonderful truth about you and who you are. Lord, that you have revealed the immeasurable greatness of your power through your son, Jesus Christ. And so the response of your people is to sing and worship and declare and exalt and adore and magnify and bring glory to your name. And as we sing, I I just want to encourage us, let's go for it. Let's just really go for it and exalt him. And after that, we're going to break bread together as this wonderful reminder that we are joined to Christ, but that we're also joined to each other. Yeah, that we, are, that we have this new and wonderful relationship with Jesus, but also he's called us together as his people, the church.